0: episode, we'll be talking about Minutemen, Double Nickels on the Dime. In the room, I have Rob. Hey, buddy. And on the line, I have Kyle. Hello there. And Jason. Hi. Double Nickels on the Dime is the third album by the American punk trio Minutemen, released on the California independent record label SST Records in 1984. The producer was Ethan James, and the genre is alternative rock, hardcore punk, post-punk, and post-hardcore. And I'm going to read from All Music Review, Mark Deming. If What Makes a Man Start Fires was a remarkable step forward from the Minutemen's promising debut album, The Punchline, then Double Nickel's On The Dime was a quantum leap into greatness, a sprawling 45-song set that was as impressive as it was ambitious. While punk was obviously the starting point for the Minutemen's musical journey, by this point, the group seemed up for almost anything. Deep Boone's guitar work suggested the adventurous, melodic sense of jazz tempered with the bite and concussion of punk rock, while Mike Watt's full-bodied bass was a perfect foil for Boone's leads and drummer George Hurley possessed a snap and swing that would be the envy of nearly any band. In the course of du- Double Nickels on the Dimes Four Sides, the band tackles leftist punk, uh, Spanish guitar workouts, neo-polka, blues bass laments, avant-garde exercises, and even stripped the frame Van Halen cover. From start to finish, the Minutemen play and sing with an steam, intelligence, and unshakable conviction and the album is full of striking moments that cohere into a truly remarkable whole all three members write with smarts good humor and an eye for the the adventurous and they hit pay dirt with striking frequency and if ethan james production is a bit spartan it's also effective cleaner than their work with spot and captures the performances with clarity Simply put, Double Nickels on the Dime was the finest album of the Minutemen's career and one of the very best American rock albums of the 1980s. All right. What do we think of Minutemen? Double Nickels on the Dime. It's a goddamn masterpiece. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's a fantastic album. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I had never heard it before. And I think I'm the only one here who hasn't heard it before. And I was blown I away. It. It's fucking fantastic. I wish I would have listened to this 25 <laughs> years ago.
0: Like. What do you think of uh, the songs? The The song lengths. So, were you to surprised? Be honest,
1: I was I was very surprised at the length of this record. Um I was like, oh, we got another punk record, The Minutemen. I can knock this out, you know. And then <laughs> so, so, staggering 45 songs. But it was a pleasure. And like the the song links are perfect cuz you don't get sick of anything. Yeah. Um I mean, it's like the old I'm not. Trying to reduce them, they're not as simplistic as the Ramones, but the thing about the Ramones is if you went to go see them and they played a song you didn't like, you know, you just have to wait a couple minutes and they change. This record blew me away. Um, And I'm I'm jealous of you dudes for rocking out to this for years.
2: I felt, the first time I heard this record, I felt like, I felt the same way I felt when I heard Trout Mask Replica the first time. Like, this is music from another world made by people who look like my ugly ass and like who have <laughs> the same kind of like who who are just really into it, you know, yeah. and, 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 and it's still critically acclaimed somehow. And like all my coolest friends have the T-shirt. Like, how is it possible that you can have all those things and and great songs that feel longer than two minutes, but not because they're bad, because you just like there's so there's so many beautifully written parts. So smart. Such a great record.
0: Yeah, that really struck me, too, because I kept thinking, oh, right, the songs will feel like they're, you know... When you listen to hardcore, like we just listened to a couple things like Germs and Minor Threat and all those hardcore bands, it's like, yeah, yeah, you get through the two-minute song or something like that. But with a Minute Minute, those songs, they do not feel like they're a minute and a half. Nope. They feel like three-minute songs. Somehow they, they're able to stick in, like, four parts.
3: Fully fleshed out. Fully fleshed out, yeah. With... Fantastic lyrics.
0: Yeah, I think one of the magic, uh, you know, one of the things they do is they just cut out the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and it and it feels like a longer song. Yeah, because it's not. I don't even
3: r- think they have repetition.
0: Choruses. <laughs> no, there's no courses. Oh, the, there's one chorus, and we'll get to it
2: in a minute. But the the thing that introduced me to the Minutemen is was the single from this record, and I think it's the only one that has a chorus, which is "This Ain't No Picnic," uh, that they made a video for, and it's and it's crushingly good. <laughs> You know, and it was on MTV at a minute and 30 seconds or whatever. Like, that's so cool that they did that.
0: Yeah, it got a- awarded or uh, not awarded, but it was nominated for a VMA. And they lost to Kajagoogoo, yep. if I remember it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct.
3: <laughs>
2: and uh, I, I know that um, I, we, we mentioned this a little bit as we were prepping, but um, I was a, an adult contemporary radio DJ in high school. And uh there was a book there that we would read on our overnight shifts about the greatest records of all time and this was in it. and it didn't make any sense to me that a record like this could exist. And then in I was it 94 that ball hog or tugboat by Mike Watt came out like yeah, solar record that featured ball
0: hog. Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it came out with and everybody who was popular in the alternative world was on it mm-hmm. like paying tribute to him and Minutemen and whatnot. And then he hosted 120 minutes, like the most like no Matt, what's his name. I can't think of his last Penfield? name right now. No Matt Pinfield. It was just Mike Watt and a host of people that were there. And he just like was like just emoting on camera about losing D Boone, showing this ain't no picnic. I was like, this is there's no way that this guy's this nice. How could someone <laughs> do all this and also be this awesome? I was I was hooked. I wanted him to be maybe my dad, but mostly my uncle, you know. Or, like, the guy who, like, would show up and give me guitar lessons for no good reason with hot sauce in his belt. Like, it was just, <laughs> it's astounding to me that people like this existed in that scene that had so many people that were in it for what seemed like other reasons.
0: Yeah. I think you put it pretty poignantly when you said the the least pretentious man that you've probably ever heard. And I th- I was thinking about that. I mean, I rewatched that documentary and, like, n- no one had any stories or like bad things to say no one had, there wasn't even it wasn't even close like no one talked any shit
3: the only shit i've ever heard talked is just by black flag being in the van with d boone and mike watt as they're arguing sure, yeah. constantly forever <laughs> and it was annoying <laughs> but you know aside from that like yeah. no, no they, they they weren't dicks um what were the, they
0: arguing about
3: Uh, Leftist politics. Yeah. Anything, anything, everything. Absolutely anything. They would argue about anything for hours.
0: It was like they were brothers since they knew each other for so long so they could get in these large arguments and I guess work it out.
3: (laughs) They would try to break up. (laughs) (laughs) They would try to break up the band, like going back home and like each try to claim the drummer. And then the drummer would say he was starting his own band and then (laughs) they just keep playing. Yeah. Um uh Cat Casual played with uh, Mike Watt a couple yeah. years back and Oh I didn't know that. Dude's just nicest motherfucker I ever met. Yeah. Um, just so endearing, such a such a great bassist, my god.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Wowie Zowie. How old were they when they did this? What, twenty three? Twenty four maybe? Yeah. No, they, they were they were born in fifty eight. Uh this came out in eighty four, so twenty six. Ooh. Is I- that right?
2: playing solos like that at 26 like the self-possession that this band contains of just not giving a shit about anything but like the clear familial love that they have for each other the inside jokes that are still somehow accessible like it doesn't matter if you don't know what the title of the record means or that why the four sides are called something different it's just so Open And yet these melodic guitar solos that amazing, like you can tell these guys learned how to play together and are just like challenging each other to get better because they love it instead of trying to like really outdo each other. It's so great.
3: They really hated that they came up learning covers and how to play and that the kids that were doing like the hardcore and like the punk scene, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. Like they actively tried to forget the stuff that they really learned beforehand. So they could like have this like purity that the punk bands were going for straight from straight from Mike Watts mouth.
0: That, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you want to, you've been inundated with that music and you learn in, and now there's a new thing. It's punk. It's like, Oh, unlearn
3: all that rock and roll. Yeah. What, what, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's what I've always thought about the Minutemen. It's a deconstruction of rock songs. I mean, I think Wire probably did it first.
3: And they were very much influenced in, by influenced
0: Wire. Influenced by Wire, yeah. Um, and it's that de- that sort of art artistic look about what did it what is it to be music? What is it to have that new music? Just like the craft work, like everybody, can we just eliminate rock and roll and go in a in this direction, in an exciting direction?
3: Yeah, It'll Wire and the the pop group. Those were the uh, the two biggies. They said that the pop group sounded like Captain Beefheart meets uh, uh, Funkadelic. Yeah. And uh, like Funkadelic was important to Mike Watt because on all of the records that they were listening to, you could never really like pick out the bass. But like Funkadelic, you could hear what the bass player was doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to go. Too-
0: I was surprised. I didn't hear Pure Ubu like reference it. They didn't comment that they were inspired by Pure Ubu, but I was. I death. I hear. Oh, it. I hear. It. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think they do on the on the record, like on the on the artwork, like in the liner notes. I think they say something. Oh, cool.
0: Yeah.
3: I mean, they'd already toured with um with Husker Du at sure. this point, so I I imagine that would have taken through the Midwest, and they would have been doing the yeah. uh, like Cleveland scene. But yeah, what man. what
2: struck me about listening to this the eight times I listened to it over the last three days <laughs> is um. I think before I heard it, I expected it to be like short and fast and and fun. And the tempos are relatively mid-tempo, you know. I mean, there's a lot of great like hi-hat work by George Hurley on there and the faster stuff, but like it just doesn't sound like they're in a hurry. Somehow, somehow they I don't know how they do it, but like, you know, as opposed to their hardcore brethren and cistern, they're it doesn't try it doesn't sound like they're trying to get out of there. And that's so it's such a relief. I remember when my stupid band in high school would get invited to play shows with hardcore bands and I was like, we're playing pop music and a, a a girl I went to high school with was like, it was so refreshing seeing you guys like play songs with melodies in the middle of all that other stuff, you know? And I know that, but I know that Miniman had trouble finding an audience except for other musicians right there at the beginning yeah. and maybe throughout their career. But that's, I don't know. It's just like a treasure. It just feels like it's unfortunate. You know, it sucks that Deboon Boone is dead, but they, they were, they had this acclaim when they were alive too amongst the same people that are talking about this record right now. I just can't believe how they got away with it. Yeah. You know,
0: like I think they were so smart and talented. It's something, it's one thing to, I think they were kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time with that scene. But I think you just can't deny when, so, when a band or a group or an artist is so good at the craft it's just undeniable and you just have to say, Oh yeah, yeah their
3: this rule like live shows fucking incredible. Yeah. Like they, they were on fire all the time. Like to the point, you know, like they, uh, they, they, they go to LA, they see Black Flag, Black Flag Flag's passing out all of these flyers for a show they're doing in Pedro, which is where Minutemen were from, or I forget what they were called at that time. Uh they said, Oh, we're from Pedro, you know, we're in a band, so they get thrown on the bill, so their first thing that they they play is a show in their hometown opening for Black Flag. That show gets them a record deal with SST. They're the second band that gets a release on SST. I mean, like, yeah, wrong That's place, wrong place, right time. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I guess like so. it's uh And, you know, the the very last thing that they did, they were on tour with R.E.M. Like, I mean, they they were they were exploding. Like, it's it's super, super tragic what happened to D. Boone Um, and how the how this band ended, because they were they were going to keep on uh, doing this stuff. And like they were they were just gaining serious, serious traction. But, yeah, they they are a band's band. Yeah,
0: that's a good good way to put it.
3: Uh, a lot of this Angular stuff, Kyle, reminds me a bit of the uh, the early Devo stuff as well. But they, th- I've never seen them claim anything off of uh, off of listening to them, so I think that may just be what was in the air. No, I can
1: hear it, especially with the drums. It's got kind of a Alan Myers kind of edge.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you Did you guys read up on the uh, how the how the sound was crafted at all?
0: Uh, of their tone? I know they recorded yes. this
1: record for like a grand, right? <laughs> they recorded this record
3: for eleven hundred dollars <laughs> onto eight track. A track
2: is six days, right? Like six uh, days and
3: yeah, (laughs) yeah.
2: One overnight mixing session mm
3: -hmm, with uh, only guitar overdubs. (laughs) The guitar overdub was a Gibson ES one two five with a soap bar pickup in the neck, um, in the neck position through an Ibanez tube screamer. Those are all the solos.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
3: Um, Everything else was uh, he was super into Telecasters. Um, during, oh, sharpness.
0: so sharp, so
3: sharp because he rolled all of the knobs like to the, uh, <laughs> to the left with the exception of the treble, uh, which he cranked all the way to the right. Um, they, uh, they thought of the band itself as a, a political statement to the point where the guitar would not interfere with any frequencies of the bass. Yeah. Um, which is why if you watch any of the, um, like VHS stuff that's up on YouTube you can hear everything <laughs> because there's no mud because it's only high end of the left low end on the right and then drums in the middle like even off like just from the microphones not off a board or anything you can hear this band which is incredible
0: Let the product-
2: takes a lot of guts to accept that much space in songs like this Mm -hmm. you know like the fact that they were so egalitarian that they decided to mix themselves you know playing in all ages clubs or bowling alleys or grocery stores or whatever but like there's so much space in these songs like even the songs that are like full on there's still room for empty for like the i don't know like the Sounds we hear in other new wave records where there's supposed to be emptiness. I thinking specifically about Echo and the Bunnymen, for example. There's a lot of space in those records. There is on this, too. What kind of amp was he using? I can't, I meant to look it up, and I forgot.
3: He was, uh, from what I read, it was just a, a twin reverb. Uh, the, I was going to say a yeah. Fender
0: tw- twin reverb, yeah. He had a Super yeah.
3: 6 at one point. I don't know when he switched that out. Um, yeah. Uh, dude from Minnesota junior said that was the like most brutal thing that's ever happened to his ears was seeing, so seeing the live.
0: Yeah. I got a little bit of um, like big black vibes too. In oh. like, Oh,
3: definitely. There's
0: just, it's so trebly and someone commented, they thought that might have a little bit to do with the Bakersfield sound <laughs> going back to like old country. Cause he does play clean. I mean, he, he can pick it. He mm-hmm. can, he can do some, you know, great leads in having it so sharp there's no room for air or if you do you know want to make it messy it sounds sounds real weird yeah it's uh, yeah i mean it's directly responsible for me
2: buying a telecaster and a fender (laughs) twin in 19 i mean the telecaster i still play was because i wanted it to be sharper and the marshall head that i use in a lot of my bands is just because it's just i love it it's so exhilarating it hurts like hell but it's so exhilarating (laughs) wait why does that hurt Just like it hurts because it's so. I mean, it's making it sharp in small rooms, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's just so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You have uh, you definitely had the the Telecaster that I wanted. It's a custom, right? Oh, the the with with the seventy four deluxe. Yep. The yeah, it's got like a humbucker and it has the Telecaster single. Yep. Man. Yeah. Love those guitars. Yep.
2: Talked about D Boone with the guy I bought it from at Roadworthy in '97. Amazing. Um, he was concerned I was buying it for the wrong reasons. Um, uh, was, he was like, "You know, this is supposed to be like an SG." I was like, "I don't care. It's like this is louder than my current Telecaster, so it can be it can be more tr- trebly. So,
3: yeah. Speaking of the Telecasters, uh, D Boone favored them, like we said. Uh, used a lot of treble, but he sweated like crazy, um, and the sweating caused electrical problems with his guitars. Um, they'd have problems where. Basically, he's sweating so much during the gigs, it would soak into the pickups and shut off all the high end, Mm -hmm. Um, which for what he was doing was exactly what can't happen. So eventually what they came up with was uh, something called EMG pickups, which are sealed in epoxy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they uh, put those pickups in uh, and then they wouldn't have to deal with the sweat.
0: Yeah, makes sense because... it's just a uh, coils like wrapped around, but yeah, there is
3: yeah, no more short out.
0: No. no, that's amazing, but
3: always really high up on the neck. That was the only one that he, uh, the only pickup that he used.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. We haven't talked, I mean, Mike Watt as a, Mike Watt is just a given that he's an incredible and singular bass player. Um, I haven't actually heard anything that he's done with the Stooges and I, and I was always, I, I wonder if that kind of play playing works because it just works so well in a situation like this with all that room. Like, is he a, does he pride himself on being like a, a rhythm bassist? Cause it seems like from what I've heard, he thought it was just a, he was going to be playing leads the whole time.
0: So <laughs> yeah, and it's totally I, I perfect for what he's done. <laughs> Good question. I haven't heard that the uh, Stooges either. Yeah, but I, I always just identified this, him and this band as as that separate part, those separate entities, which I, I feel like you get that with some bands where it truly feels like there are two leads. There's a bass lead and there's the guitar lead at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, and then all that space. And then always keeping it together with Hurley. And Hurley, what a, what a great drummer. That's a fucking monster. I mean, yeah. to do yeah. this and to, you know, play all these songs have those starts and stops and then the put in a little funk he's got that he really has the funk drumming down it's like up that upper body just just nailing it
3: And those, those arms do not stop ever or the feet really he's just constantly in motion yeah
1: um it just sounds so effortless too i don't know yeah it sounds like imagine, they're having a good time you know
2: Imagine like you're at band practice and is it, what is it? Is it, it's expected I'm gone. I can't remember one of the early songs on the record where it's Hurley starting off with like a funk beat and like you just walk into practice and somebody's playing that, like you're going to write that song, you know, mm. like you just have to, you can't deny it
0: undeniable. I'm going to be, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not so into the funky, funky songs that the minute bin lay down. Go on. Yeah. There is definitely uh, a hurdle that I've had to cross with the Minutemen. So songs like uh, "Vietnam," uh, oh, "I fucking love that one," "Nature Without Man." I just—it's the—is it the slap bass? No, it's the um, it's the disco beat, and I have it. Uh-huh. I I have that problem. I just can't hear it and not just—you're
3: you're a disco beat bigot. <laughs> it
0: it it like something in me cringes when I hear that beat. I I just don't know what it is. It's like anything involving rock music or, you know, using that beat. I just, ah, I tense up. I just can't. I I, I constantly just think of disco music. You love
3: the wall. Get out of here.
2: (laughs) It's slower though on the wall.
3: That is true. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds
2: so, it sounds so angular in this way. I was thinking, listening to, uh, the Glory of Man, which like is somewhere in the middle of the record. That that song could have been a hit if like level 42 did it, or Men Without Hats. Like there's so many points in that song where it's like it sounds like 80s, straight up 80s hits that like darker flock of seagulls. If flock of seagulls got hold of that song, even with the left lyrics. And um like who would I want to hear cover this with like more melody? And uh I, I don't know. Echo and the Bunnymen, maybe. Maybe they would do it right. I mean, yeah. it's not like the Bunnymen did it wrong, but like, like, just trying to think of who the lottery winner is. And that surprised me because I forgot how danceable they are. Like my partner sometimes, because she, I think like some of this stuff, but has the same feeling you have, Birch, which is, it kind of sounds like frat party music if you were hearing it in the wrong context, like 80s Red Hot Chili Peppers. There you go. Like a band that's better than Red Hot Chili Peppers, but still like, would have been opening for them. Yeah. If if you're decontextualizing it. I'm not saying I feel at all, but I totally hear how that would come across if you're just, like, hearing it in the background.
0: Yeah, it's it's like hearing a funk band, but not having... It, it feels so out of place in some context. It's like there's no horns, there's no keys, there's no... you Like, the singer's not a soul singer, and it's having these, like, jun, 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 and it, everything's <laughs> angular, and it, it just, like, somehow... I mean, it's dissonant, and I, I'm I'm into that. It's just it has this element of being pu- like funky or disco-y at the same time. It's it's like a punky disco funk thing. In those songs, I just don't don't identify as much as you know the others. The others that are avant garde, I'm a lot more into or just wild into it. Even the one, with, I mean, Corona, uh, uh, great I, song. I
3: can't believe how far we are into this record. I they? know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my, my first experience with uh with this band was this song from, like, the Jackass soundtrack. Like, that was the first time I had heard uh, I, any of the Minutemen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was not familiar, but I figured it out later. I was like, oh, this song gets played a lot more now, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure On, like, does. college uh, radio, yeah. because <laughs> Jackass.
1: Yeah, in March 2020, um, Corona, the digital streams rose, like, 95% in the US. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh,
1: our shared trauma. I used to,
2: <laughs> I used, when I would make mixtapes that had like a drug or drinking theme, this record is full of them. I mean, maybe partying will help. I've as ended up on so many mixtapes <laughs> yeah. that I've given to people. But you're know, like, if you feel mad, maybe partying will help. Like, it's the perfect mixtape title. Corona's always on there. Dr. Wu, I had no idea. was a Dance Song. And um, the Minimed made me feel okay about listening to Steely Dan. Like I bought Katie <laughs> lied because of like someone, I, I put Dr. Wu on a mixtape that I was playing at dial America marketing back there in Bloomington, Indiana. Nice. And one of my horrible managers said, Oh, that's a Steely. Who's, who's this horrible band playing that Steely Dan song? <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, I had no idea. And I like immediately tried to find that record. So we're hearing glory of man
0: right now. Yeah. This, this, you're right. That, this is definitely uh like an '80s uh, '80s band could easily cover this. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. The sounds are so good. Like that that that
2: treble with those leads and the rhythm section on this one. Just perfect '80s. Like this encapsulates all of that scene.
0: Yeah, that's a longer Burn one it. too. That's one of the longest ones on the album. Almost three minutes. It's like two fifty-seven. Dang. What an opus. This could...
2: <laughs> this could fit on murmur or something or like a b-side to an oh, R- yeah. REM record it sounds like a Easter production um so i mean i know they loved them so there's a, a uh barry buck who is buck's ex-wife still owns a, i think still owns a house in, in athens georgia and it's the 40 watt club and one of my a few of my bands had the opportunity to sleep at that house a few times you put bands up and there was the she would always tell stories about the Minutemen because there was a Watt room up in this what was called the REM mansion. That's this little cubbyhole that he would have to sleep in because it had it was where the rats were. He wanted to feel like he was close to the earth, like. <laughs> wow. We'd all have these arguments about who gets to sleep in Watt's bunk, and it really didn't occur to me why, how these bands really, how can REM and Minutemen work? And it, of course, it's this, it's this, it's this song. It's like yeah, they're all into the same
0: stuff, you know. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I got a wonderful little Christgau write-up that's not about this oh. record at all. Um, it's a, it's about uh, Ballot Results, which came out in 1987. But it, it ties in. Okay. Um, as someone who's never had much patience for the mystique of the ill-recorded moment music overheard just before it slips into the historical void its creators figure it out for, I'll make a partial exception for the Minutemen because I miss them so much. I know most of the songs on this mostly live double in versions i prefer but better than any studio distillation that underlines a crucial point they lived and given the modesty so intrinsic to their world historical public ambitions it's muffled take a flyer intimacy speaks also i like the covers yeah yeah um yeah i mean side, aside from that man like it never gets old. This record. There's no. At no point did I go. Eh, I've had enough of this. Hmm. But, you know, that might just be like indoctrination after listening to it a thousand times over the past week.
0: Yeah, but it keeps it interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild. It's it's a little bit like changing the radio station from time to time.
3: Yeah, they're uh, giving you a lot. They are giving you a lot, and I don't. And they would be the first to admit that none of these songs are supposed to stand on their own. Like it. They hmm. th- each song is just like a pebble in the river, like, you know, the, or that's creating the river. Yeah. So like the, the entire the entirety of the product, it's supposed to be listened to like this. Um, yeah. Not really uh, picking one song over the other. Um, at least that's the way it was for their live shows. Um,
0: I found it really interesting, though, that they <laughs> they saw that Husker du was doing Zen Arcade <laughs> and they were like, hang on. Wait, <laughs> they're doing a double album. <laughs> Let's go write some more songs. Yeah, they,
3: they, they were going into the studio. They already had 26 songs written. So they heard their, their buddies were doing one. So like, all right, we need to write 20 more songs. And they were done with that in a week.
2: That's amazing.
3: Yeah, they just knocked this shit out.
2: I'm trying to think of another band that has like such a specific ideology that isn't just punk rock. You know, the Ouija Americano thing is a, like an iteration of that that includes egalitarianism and like concern for your fellow person by not taking up too much space. Like, do you know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah, I mean, that I th- we
2: talk, talk about a lot. So,
0: yeah, I think Minor Threat um, had a, or that sort of fugazi, fugazi keep, sure. keeping the concert tickets low, having sort of a mindset of being like, we want to be more than a band, having that philosophy. I mean, there's some other um, bands that I'm probably not thinking of, especially more modern bands that want to take a a, a sort of like hardline approach to how they're forming a collective band or, yeah, or, th- or something uh, like tub thumbers that.
3: Tub thumber. Yeah. Or yeah. What a, t- <laughs> <laughs> the fuck was that? <laughs> Chub- Chumbo wumba.
0: Chumba yeah, wumba. wumba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, new radicals. Yeah, I mean, right. There's there's. Consistently, bands like that—I mean, Crass gets thrown around a lot of being like anarchist, collective, Atari Teenage Riot would like, also you know. be
3: in that, uh, that category. But
0: yeah, but did any were any of those bands were they this nice? No. Like that's
3: no.
1: the thing that I keep coming up <laughs> with. No, no, not at all. <laughs>
3: Thirty miles outside of like the L.A. scene, so they you know to go down and play those shows and come back like you know it was a fucking trip. It uh, for I guess for our purposes it would be uh, you know driving to Indianapolis from uh, Bloomington or whatever. Uh, like it, it was a it was a haul, but it wasn't that much you know. Yeah. So like they, and in like small working class town like San Pedro or Pedro however it's called like you know just. They didn't come from much, yeah. you know, and like they were able to make their own fun.
0: Yeah. So. I mean, I think there's plenty of artists that sort of live outside of the, you know, music bubble sphere who would just want to do their own thing. Um, Daniel Johnson was one of those characters who's it's just like you make music. That's that's what you do. That's the and it's hard to say what would have happened if the Minutemen were like blew up like REM did, you know, like REM had to kind of change their idea about what they wanted to present as they got more and more popular and started getting on covers of magazines and things like that. So it's, it's really hard to as say they,
3: as they signed the most expensive record deal yeah, of all time. Yeah. yeah. Of
0: all time. Um, but yeah, there is something really, really special about the Minutemen just having that sort of, I don't wanna say innocence, but almost like we're all in this together and everyone should make music and
3: well, a, a fully realized vision. Yeah. Like to the point mm-hmm. where, you know, they're they're an indie band touring the indie scene and they never came back from a tour and hadn't made a profit. Like they they were they were consummate like, you know, Jamie Econo, like yeah. for for all intents and purposes, their um, their words, not mine. But yeah, like they, they just it, everything was like so thought out. Yeah, like you know, I don't know. I'm I am rambling. I'm just very sad that Dee Boone died at age 27. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, that 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 was it's something that it, on those over those stupid overnight drives that all of our bands would make. At some point, someone would always say like, or like we would bring it up like." Is it worth is it worth putting ourselves into the danger that has killed so many people who we respect in music to get back from a show where we've made 10 bucks overnight? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's, um, uh,
3: his fiance was driving the car. His sister was passenger seat. D Boone was asleep in the back. Um the initial statement she gave to the police was, I must have fallen asleep. And that's the uh, that's been the story like ever since she was in shock. Uh, they took that statement before the ambulance even got there. Um, but what happened was uh, she. Uh, so she's driving and uh, the 1979 Dodge van they were uh, they use had a problem on almost all of those Dodge vans. And that was that the uh, left rear axle would snap. Oh God. So she's driving. She hears this noise and like, Oh, I uh, must, you know, must be getting a flat, takes her foot off the gas and is rolling to a stop because you don't want to hit the brakes if you get a flat. And that, the sound was the wheel snapping off. Hmm. So rolling at 55 miles an hour or whatever, Wheel snaps off. Van flies into the air, turns one and three quarters times, and luckily they were in the lowest portion of the desert driving on that highway. Otherwise, they could have rolled off into a canyon or whatever. Uh, they were they at were the lowest part. But, yeah, so the the axle snaps. D-Boone flies out the back. Um, she shatters her ankle. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what happened to d uh, sister. Um, but, yeah, the... Uh, she wasn't asleep. She said she must have fallen asleep because she was in shock.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: but yeah, it yeah. was it was a factory flaw in that van uh, that the U.S. government had bailed out Chrysler in '79 and '80 for 1.5 billion dollars to cover things like the uh, the lawsuits that were coming in left and right from yep. these vans like breaking that way. So yeah, it's a. Uh, Super fucking tragic, um, whether or not like it, whether they had been driving during the day or the night like that wheel was going to snap.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, that's I think whenever anybody asks what makes a potentially successful band, I, one of my things is always like, get a reliable, safe van. That's going to start that has seat belts. <laughs> like don't and then use it, you know, and uh, it sucks when those things happen. But. Good lord, it's so tragic. I I was so I'm so glad that Watt Firehose made some good records, um, largely cool. And he's just been like out there, like pushing his friend's legacy for so long with so many other people that love it, playing with really cool people. So, um, you know, there's no getting over the tragedy, but it's I'm just so glad that he is out there just like keeping it alive in some way. Um, his original stuff's great he didn't die from that horrible gut thing he had years ago. Like, so he's out there with the hot sauce in his tool belt.
3: One, like when, when I saw him a like, uh, couple years back, I'm not sure what minute song he was like ending his set with, but it was crazy watching a bunch of like 45 to 50 year olds, just bawling their eyes out, like <laughs> watching him like do these songs, um, <laughs> which was pretty fucking cool. But yeah, like he's, he's still putting out great records. Um, Kyle, what did you think
1: about this cool record? Uh, you know, at first I was a little like inundated, but uh, it just never, like it never got old. I was always like, oh, what's happening next? And then I would be pleasantly surprised. And, you know, I'm going to put this up there, you know, next to like Meat uh, Puppets 2 is like records that I should have been listening to for the past like 25 years. Um, I thought it was incredible. It was impressive. Um You know, I heard more stuff every time I listened to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the total positive. I mean, everybody should hear this album. This is one of those albums, too, that we go through a lot of these albums. We're on 500-whatever, and it is truly a unique vision. Like, it's a truly unique band, so why not? Why wouldn't it be in here? You were kind of questioning that before, but I think it fits right in here because there's no other band, you know— had done this at the time and probably since of their sort of like unique, uh, way they constructed songs, how they perform songs. So yeah.
3: Yeah. My, my question wasn't whether or not it should be, or my, my question was where, who listened to this in, in Britain?
0: Yeah. Yeah. True.
3: And how, how, how it got over there because the, There's no British write-ups of this. SST was such a regional label. Like, there's, you know... Enemy didn't have, like, a copy of this record or anything. So, I was just surprised that, like, the skew of the book allowed it. I think it's one of the greatest American, like, rock and roll records ever produced. So, 100% people should listen to this. Yeah, It's important.
2: uh, Yeah, definitely. It's up there. To me, this and Trout Mask Replica are the two greatest double albums that have ever come out of America. Um, maybe there's maybe we can add to that, but those two, especially because they're both from around LA, made by people who were into it. I just can't get enough of either. And I love these, it's a masterpiece. So positive, it's unbelievably positive.
0: Awesome. Uh, hey, can we talk about the Coke dares for a minute? <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> We can
2: talk about the Coke dares, okay. I think we I think that we like listening to this record again, I think that it wasn't until our last record that we actually fully embraced our love of double nickels on the dime. I really? think Lake Lake is where we where we finally got it. yeah, okay. Um I can see that. yeah, I only say that because we we did we actually so I think Mark had just read the thirty three and a third and was giving us ideas about how we would put it together. Each of us would write eleven songs. Um, we would sequence it in a way that our songs were featured. One of the songs had to be acoustic from each of us. Um, but from the very beginning, I mean, from the first band practice, it was, we love classic rock, but there's just too much crap. So what if we cut everything out, but the good parts and just play like 30 of those songs per set. Okay. And it was, and you know, I, we, we really, I think, um, I think the Coke Dares, which are somehow still a band, um, <laughs> like, we we just love each other a lot. Like, I think that, like, the influence of a band like this, who you could just see, they just really love each other. It's it's the only way we've managed to do that kind of thing um, for as long as we did, as long as we keep doing it. But the tones, the like, the Mark's hi-hat structure, Pete's, stuff like i mean i remember saying one of the early um practices like let's be the minutemen with harmony yeah and uh i don't think we really got it until fake lake but um i didn't i don't know if we got it then but we're always striving for it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i i was going to say um i mean when i f- first saw you, you guys it, it's like having the context of the minutemen made me instantly sort of like get it 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 cool it it kind of completed being like, yeah, the Minutemen. It, it, it seems so foreign. I I feel like if you didn't have that background, but if you do it, it, it's like everything just clicks together and I'm not trying to say, you know, you were trying to imitate them, but it it had that sort of element of this is amazing, you know, write, you know, write the songs you want to write. Don't worry about the choruses. If you, if you want, if you want an all course do it all course you know, but each song is that individual idea about either, you know, sometimes daily life, sometimes esoteric, sometimes, you know, just a medley. But, uh, yeah, I always love that.
3: Sometimes an entire ZZ top set. Sometimes uh, the second story, <laughs> sometimes
0: <laughs> you're in a basement with, a bu- with a bunch of bro dogs having a keg party and you just play, wish you were here. Like the entire <laughs> oh <my> thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think we also did Shine On You, Crazy Diamond. Yeah, that
0: was it. Yeah, yeah. Shine On You, Crazy Diamond. So I mean, good. you know,
2: I there, there's only so much imitation you can do, like, with a band like the Minutemen. And so I really feel like we, I mean, I had been saying for years, bands like the commercial record by the Residents and, or the commercial album and the Who Sell Out, like, my favorite songs on those records were super short and I love pink flag. Like that yeah. record is. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just wanted to be in a band. I was in so many bands at that time that were just stretching it out. Oh, and like know. all of us were, you know, like,
0: it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to name any just- names, but yeah, some of the, <laughs> some of those bands put me to sleep a little bit. Yeah, just stretching it out, you know, and like, I was drunk. Felt- <laughs> <laughs> <How> was <laughs> I
2: was not
3: going to go to sleep. It's two 30 in the morning.
2: Yeah. It felt good to, Felt good to just like make rules. Twenty-five minutes or less. Twenty-five songs. Yeah, let's do this. So. It felt
3: good to see it, Jason. <laughs> well, I,
2: I I'm super flattered that since I respect you all so much and your musical abilities and all of your bands, um, I'm I'm just flattered that you like it enough. Maybe we'll all play together again. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this this album and Wire, I mean Wire, for the most part, has kind of inspired me to say, oh, I need to like wire sort of lit a fuse to be like shit i gotta i gotta start doing this and i (laughs) can do anything i want like all this music that's around this time they were just really you know they just threw the rules out the out the window who needs them who needs them they were like make tones make make mouth noises who cares we're not getting signed anyway just do it yeah we don't we don't care about the getting signed. Absolutely. Let's play our, clear clear, stuff. clear
2: water revival while you're doing all that, you know? Like cuz why why wouldn't you? You know, like there's no nothing wrong with CCR.
0: I, and
1: there's nothing wrong with Mouth Noises. I got to say having never heard this album, I lost my shit when the Van Halen cover came in at 41 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of my favorite Van Halen songs and I was like that. Ah, you got me. It's fantastic.
0: I I kind of get why the the CCR um, element CCR was such a hard working band the working man's band they were yeah they were a band
3: with a political bend A yeah. leftist yeah. political
0: bend yeah absolutely 100%. so actually I mean now that you're saying it that makes 100 percent sense because they they did it they worked they were the working band
3: they were the ones that weren't going out doing drugs all the time yeah like they were they, they were just fucking regimented every day yeah doing the thing
2: yeah man there's a there's a lot of like freedom talked about in the lyrics of this record and like banding together for it and then it just the whole thing feels like freedom i think what you said just said a birch about pink flag i mean like the first time i heard that record too it was like you can do this you can do this and people will like it and i like it and this is what i want so it's just like it's exciting to introduce people to this music too Mm-hmm. Like when when it clicks with someone, you've made a friend forever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Real quick question, though. Um, the Mersh was the album where they tried to or the, where they put choruses in like, they, yeah, they, they had a full on song structure. Um, is that uh, is King of the Hill on that
0: record? Um, I don't know I if remember it's that. Yeah. That's one thing about (laughs) I'll never get over is I can never remember what songs are what on what albums because they have so many songs on each album. Mm -hmm. King of the Hill. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's a great chorus.
3: That's all I have to say.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. Next time we'll be talking about Lloyd Cole and the commotions, Rattlesnakes. All right. Thanks, y'all.